Two is a crowd. The tower in Pisa finally tumbles. Hermits and mystics may love time alone, but not this lonely traveler by Walter Baum. First published, Age of Awareness. Parting may not be such sweet sorrow. We had separated in Pisa, Italy, because we were driving each other crazy. Laura had taken the train to London to stay with a friend. This was August of 1990. I was 21. Three weeks traveling with me through Europe was more than enough. The story of Europe and the further troubles in England is a mini-series mock-you-melodrama for another time when my tears and shame will become a much longer comedy than this anecdote of humor and humility. In Pisa, I recall turning my back and suddenly Laura, with her blonde hair and slender figure, with the hair in that high one can of hairspray a day routine, as was the fashion in New Jersey back then when a lighter match or a flick of a bit was a real thing to fear. She was surrounded by four Italian guys in a leather market. Of course, there was a fountain in the middle of the piazza. Was it deep enough to drown my sorrow? The stereotype of Italian men is true. Let no one say otherwise. One of those Italian lads had more sex appeal in his pinky cuticle than I did in my whole body. I was slightly overweight then, despite the 20,000 steps a day we took each day. I was jealous. Why weren't they coming on to me? I'm not gay, mind you, but those guys were gorgeous. And would they buy me a leather jacket? They also didn't look like they had been backpacking for three weeks either. Laura wanted to shop. I wanted history, and to gobble more Italian food and request pastries in a series of ridiculous hand gestures. Anyway, she had enough of me, and I agreed that I had enough of me too. I was such a drama king. The journal entry. Written while on the train from Fianze to Nice, Laura and I are now finally separated. Our dual trip through Europe has ended. We had a big, ugly fight last night that hasn't been resolved. Hopefully, after a week apart, we could be friends once again when I arrive in London. More of this later, page 125. I survive without becoming a sex worker. Nice. I took the train to Nice and camped out cheaply above a porn shop in some seedy but lively part of that seaside city. I ate three baguettes a day with delicious jam and cheese, and shared lonely bottles of red vino on beaches and park benches and jetties all along the French Riviera. In many ways, I was a lonely gull. Can anyone say Jonathan Livingston? Whatever that book said, I forget, but it's probably full of crap, too, or guano. After all, that damn thing is a seagull, and you should have seen some of the crap on those rocks. Jacket and tie. Required. Once, out of curiosity, I ventured into the casino at Monte Carlo, and the patrons and the management all agreed I probably didn't belong. 
Was it my beard? Was it my smell? Or was it really my lack of liquidity? I miss the company and the arguments with Lara, but the visits to Cannes and Saint-Tropez were, were nice. I no longer had to endure the long waits for hairstyling. I thought of engaging in conversations with naked French women on the beach or with stylish women in cafes, but Google Translate on a smartphone didn't exist then. I thought maybe my problem was, was English. After all, every woman I liked up to until then spoke my language. I just gawked as passively as possible and averted my eyes and wrote enthusiastically back home on postcards with naked women on the beach to my mom and family that I was really enjoying the scenery and that Laura and I had parted and that I was, quote, finally enjoying myself. There were opportunities for female companionship, but this required money and I'm not sure whatever healthcare I had would work in France to treat the various forms of sexually communicated diseases. Tan and pebbles. But my tan was coming along nicely. My hair was lighter, but in severe need of a trim. My writing was flourishing too. Did it take an hour for me to figure out how to wash my clothes in the local laundromat? I recall some brisk conversations in English as I sat on the vibrating dryer. I wish I wrote that dialogue down, but the sexual thrill of the dryer was stimulating. The pebbles hurt my feet in the blistering sun, but the water was lovely. I floated like an otter in the Mediterranean, looking back at the hills and the houses and the vibrant blue sky that Van Gogh loved, and I thought, <laughs> I'm lucky. I just wished I had someone to share this moment besides my journal and my letters home. Adieu. I glanced at a calendar hanging in a local restaurant by the downtown Promenade d'Anglais and realized I should be getting back to London. Laura had stored her extra bag there at Heathrow and I was lugging her other huge suitcase through Europe for three weeks. I didn't know I signed up as a porter. Lord Byron made it seem so easy. So I bid adieu to the French Riviera with only my dark green and battered backpack no longer Laura's concierge with additional accoutrements, both metaphorical and literal, I felt free and easy and ready to start fresh in a country that spoke the language of Shakespeare. Heading back to England. The TGV was a bullet shot north to Paris, and then a changeover at Gare de Lyon, and then a metro ride to Gare du Nord, and then a quick trip after a fine crossing from France to England where I met a lovely girl from the States who was studying in London. And then we both took British Rail to London and had a pub lunch and a pint. And she gave me her lodging information for future communication. I recall glancing at my watch and telling her I needed to meet Laura for our Brit Rail passage to Newcastle. <sighs> what an idiot. I should have remained with this new girl, at least for a little while, right? She was everything I'd been hungry for. She was educated, interested in the arts, loved history, and she laughed at my jokes. Her hair also contained no climate-damaging aerosols. But alas, I never saw her again. Oh, how different my life may have turned out if I stayed with her. Thirty years have passed, and I'm reading my journal and laughing now, looking at pictures of people who no longer look like this. Many of the places still look the same, like Pisa, the way a nightingale still looks and sounds the same. I'm in my study, looking at the snow from my home in New Jersey, 
I now coach English and write 6,000 words a day now that I'm on medication. My daughter Nancy, now almost 20, just told me she's going for a walk. She's been home for college due to the quarantine. My awesome wife of 26 years works quietly in her sewing room, working on graduate school and projects. My daughter Madeline is 23 and in graduate school at Georgia Tech, studying aerospace. So many different points that could have all changed this. It's interesting to have some time to reflect on how I got here and how fortunate I have been. It was like spending years as a pinball, flung here and there at rapid speeds, spitting out colors and spinning wheels, and each contact shaped the ball somehow, some way. And when it finally came to rest, the ball found its way home at a dance in Philadelphia, while I finally felt free with Mary Jane. And then a whole new game began. Thank you for listening. Take care, mates. Cheers.